everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. And as always, uh, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. You can watch the video versions of us on Facebook uh, and on YouTube. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about it, love to get your feedback about these, uh, these episodes, please reach out to me. You can put either put the comments below or you can uh, reach out to me. I am on uh, YouTube dot com slash comedy brian you can find me at facebook.com slash three days a week i live stream on twitch so if you want to interact with me live and ask me questions uh feel free to do so you can follow me at twitch.tv slash comedy brian uh we're going to get into it today uh, my guest today is a, a very very funny comedian he's been performing for, for for many many years he performs all over the country he does a lot of work with uh charities and uh and I love uh, performing with him. He's produced tons of stand-up comedy shows. Uh, he's great at crowd work, and he's just one of my favorite people. He's truly a nice guy. So please welcome Mr. Jim Taylor. Jim Taylor, how are you, sir? Brian, thank you. Oh, you're so kind. Look at all those those websites you have. All that, all those ways people can see you. I'm I'm feeling kind of inadequate. I got a PO box. That's that's about it. <laughs> Looking good. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're, we're glad to have you here. Uh, one of my favorite things about uh, working with you, Jim, is um, I, I love uh, your act. You, you're you so good at interacting with the crowd. Um, you have just a, a real ease on stage. You're able to, to interact uh, seamlessly with your material and with, um, with kind of improvising and kind of playing with the crowd. And it's just something that uh, I've never really been able to do very well. But you, you handle it flawlessly. And you you have this great persona on stage. It's a, a very likable persona, but you you have a little bit of some biting remarks and a little bit of that undercurrent of uh, bitterness in there, which I love. Um, and I, I just really enjoy uh, working with you. And you're just a, an exceptional human being for a lot of the work that you do too, as well as a comedian. So I, I love uh, love getting a chance to work with you. So thanks for taking some time today. Oh my gosh, Brian! I'm just—I'm gonna have to record this and play that part back every time my wife tells me how worthless I am. Well, yeah, well, I should marry Brian. Well, no, you're sweet. Thank you. That was—that's very nice. Um, as far as the uh, crowd work, I learned how to do that. I didn't used to be able to do that, and it's one of the things I always wanted to do. And uh, I used to watch the masters, you know, Jimmy Brogan, and mm. uh, you worked with Jimmy, and uh, oh, you can go to—you can go to Jimmy's shows five nights a week and get a different show every night. And I, I told him one time, I said, I just, I don't know how you do that. I mean, I, I'd get up on stage. All right, I'm going to do some crowd work. So where are you from? Ah, Albuquerque. Ah, I got nothing. You know, and it, <laughs> it had some, I actually had stuff like that. And I went, okay, that, that's it. I'm not cut out for this. Jimmy Brogan just said, just write. Just keep writing and writing and writing and writing. You don't have to memorize it. It'll come to you. And then I saw huh. Ian back. Have you ever seen Ian Bag do crowd work? Mm -mm. I worked with him uh, at the Ontario Improv, and uh, he he came out and didn't even start doing his his act. He did like the first fifteen minutes of his show with the three people in the front row, and somehow concocted this whole thing about how they were responsible for the California fires, and it was absolutely hilarious. And I'm like, how how the hell can you do that? So I I just decided about ten years ago. I wanted to learn how to do crowd work, and I, I, I uh, started a show, and you might have done that room. I don't remember, but it, it was a, a, a small room in Laguna Niguel. It was a restaurant, and I made up my mind I'm going to do crowd work there. So I used to jump in the audience with a cordless mic with no clue about what I was going to do. Fell flat so many times, but then it's, then you start to get it. You start to get comfortable. You're not afraid to ask the question that just popped into your head, even though you don't have a joke ready. Something comes. And, and the other thing I learned from that is don't fill your head with gunk before you go out there. If you're going to do crowd work, you want an empty head, which surprisingly mm. was easy, easy for me to do. You know, just empty, empty everything out. Think of nothing and just go out there and just let it happen. And uh, it, it was cool. I, I thank Jimmy Brogan and Ian Bag for putting me on the right track and letting me pick their brains. Wow. So, um yeah, I could talk to you about this forever because that is the one tool that I I don't uh, I don't have in the old toolbox is crowd work uh, because where I started it was uh, you weren't allowed to uh, do crowd work so it was just yeah. a joke 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 and then I just never did it and I, I feel like like you said where where are you from Albuquerque 
All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming to the show. You know, like yeah. that's that's my version of that's my version of crowd work. So, how do you? Uh, how did you? I guess what else? What sort of tools besides just kind of letting it go? What What are some of the aspects that maybe um, some advice you can either give? I'll take from me, for example, or anyone listening. Well, it, I don't think you need any advice. I've seen your act many, many times, and you're one of the funniest people I know. And I still mm-hmm. people talk to me about my memory. Yeah, because I do this thing with the birthdays at the you know at the beginning of the show. Who's having a birthday mm-hmm. this month? And then I, I say all their names, and I, the most I've ever been able to get is eighteen and remember them at the end of the night. But you do the Animaniac song, where you go through every country in the world. I still don't know how the, how you do that. Even if I sat down and and I I tried years ago. I tried to do lists like George Carlin, mm-hmm. you know, where, where like he would go through like all the side effects on medication. And so I wrote a bit that was not tailored after him, but it, it involved a list and it had about 40 items on it. And I, I did it on stage twice and both times I bombed because I'm like, oh, what's next? <laughs> so uh, the, me- the me- of course, I'm also getting old. You're still young. What are you like, 25, 30? I am uh, 47, just turned 47 not too long ago. So 47. Oh, my God. I just hit the big 6-0. Oh wow! Yeah, you don't look like you're sixty. That all. So. I know, right? That's almost dead. <laughs> but as well, far, I mean, as far as advice, it's it's writing. Go ahead. As, as far writing, as far as like uh, just having kind of like pre-programmed like punchlines, or or just or just the process if, if of you, writing. It, it, I think it just the, the process of writing, the process of illustrating the absurd, of trying to do misdirection when you're you're clearly talking about this, and then you, the punchline is you're talking about that, and that's where I find you get the biggest laughs. That's where you get everybody posting stuff on Facebook. Oh, I see what you did there. You know, that's like, yeah, it's it's it's, it's an obvious uh, mechanism for humor, but it's it's really good. I'll tell you the one thing I have the most trouble with. You said yours is crowd work. Mine is callbacks. Mm. You know, actually referring to a joke you did earlier, I've got a hours, roughly an hour's worth of material, and I've only been able to write one callback. <laughs> so we, we all have huh. our Achilles heel, right? <laughs> yeah. Although, I, you know, it, it seems like that's a very um, standard or, or formula. Uh, I don't want to say formulaic, but it seems like in the specials that you, you see, you see somebody open with a joke and then they, they close the set you know, with a, a callback from the, their opening joke. And it, it just seems like that's a, a really good way to get uh, get off stage. But, you know, I don't think necessarily they're needed per se, uh, just the same way, like, I don't think crowd work is needed, but it's a good tool to have. Um, but, you know, comedy, I think it's different. We all have our different styles. And so, um, you know, that, that traditional, like, setup, punch, tag, you know, setup, punch, tag, setup, punch, tag, and then call back later. I don't think, um, I mean, it exists, but I don't think it's needed to necessarily have that aspect of the callback. No, no, but, but it, it's a formula that works. I'll tell you uh-huh. one, one situation where crowd work definitely comes in handy is when you've got a half hour's worth of material and you're a feature and you're getting ready to wrap up your half hour and you get a call from the from backstage going, the headliner's 20 minutes late. Stay out there. Yeah. And you're, uh-huh. <laughs> and so now you just you were just getting ready to do your last five, six minutes, and now you got to fill 20 minutes. So that's when the, uh, so where are you from? Albuquerque stuff comes in real handy. Huh. So I guess you would just say just practice kind of almost like one-liner type of things, just kind of like just for misdirection. Yeah, just just situations. Um, yeah. Listen to people. I mean, listen to people around you. <clears throat> on Facebook, I do a lot of. Uh, I just I, I post on Facebook a lot now because live comedy is is really uh, not happening much. Right. Uh, so I need to get some sort of validation from strangers, <laughs> and uh, I, I write down a lot of conversations that my wife and I have, and sometimes I'll tweak them. Sometimes I don't need to tweak them, but stuff that you see every day. It's hilarious. As long as you can set it up right, it, it can be absolutely hilarious. So, yeah, if, if something funny happens in your life, comedians, if you're talking to your mom about something or your sister-in-law and it was funny, write it down. They don't know your mother-in-law or your mom. They don't know your sister-in-law, but you make them up. 
and right. the, 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 he's there. So it's that's uh, there, there's funny stuff everywhere. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Thank you for for that. That's one thing. Like I said, I I always uh, you know I like to have that rhythm of just like go and accelerate and push, push, push. So when they sit there and go, oh, you got a you got a stretch. That happened. I was working in um, uh, Addison, the Addison Improv, uh, Texas. And uh, the headliner, uh, I won't say his name, but he uh, would like to go um, get high every night. And you never knew when he was going to show up. And the first night, you know, I was only supposed to do like 20 minutes or whatever. This was back when I had 30. And uh, I had just finished my closer. And then I'm like, okay, you guys, because they lit me. And so I did that. And then staff came running up. I did my closer. Like, you ready for your next headline? They come running up, you know, stretch, stretch, you know, no, he's not here yet. He's not here yet. I'm like, why did you light me? <laughs> what? I just yeah. did my closer, you know? And then I had to like piece backwards. And then you're like going backwards, like, okay. And just a panic. And so every night uh, that week, uh, every show that week, I had no idea when he was going to show up. Even the, the second show of like Friday and the, the second two shows on Saturday. Like, I didn't know if he was there. And so I could either do 20 minutes or I could do a half hour. And so then you start to like try to gauge and, you know, you do all your best stuff when you think you're doing 20 minutes because you just want to hit hard, you know, and you're, you're playing. And then all of a sudden you start going to like some of your later stuff that isn't quite as good or isn't <laughs> as strong as you're, as you're going in. And I'm like, come on, man, like, kill me. So then you, you try to like go the other way. You go, okay, well, let me try to do some of the stuff and save some of this in case he's not there. And then of course he would be there right at 20 minutes and you don't hit with all your best stuff. You know, it was just, I just remembered what a, what a nightmare that was. And I was like, okay, I need to write a lot more so that I have plenty to go with. Yeah. Well, when you hit the 45 minute mark and you're digging out knock, knock jokes from the third grade. Yeah. Gets but that's why a lot of those musical things are great too. You know, um, hmm. if you can play, play an instrument to a parody there, you, you can you can knock a minute out right there and make it entertaining. There's a lot of ways that you can fill the time. But that I'm glad you had that happen to you. And I mean, I'm not glad, but I'm glad I'm glad you, you can relate with the Addison uh, event because that's happened to me. I've been on stage, not as a headliner, as a feature or or even just as an MC. I don't want to say just as an MC because I think the MC is one of the most important if not the most Absolutely. important headliner. Um, but, but it's also a lot of times it's, it's less, less work. It's also definitely less money, but, um, you know, you, you get the signal from the side of the stage, you know, they're keep it going, keep it going. It's like, and I've been out there and just talking and, and doing stuff and pulling nickels where the, there, or there was no change until finally you get a thumbs up from backstage. All right, you guys ready to get this show going? Yeah, it's 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 rough. So, uh, well, let's uh, let's let's back up a little bit. Let's rewind a little bit. A uh, couple of years. Um, what inspired you to start doing uh, comedy? <laughs> I uh, I had a company, a computer company. I had about a hundred employees, and and my sales guys used to take me out on the closings. Um, so I was close. I was at a closing luncheon with McDonnell Douglas Aerospace Company, and. Uh, I don't like to talk about work at lunch. So we're just, we're with the purchasers the sales guys and we're just chit chatting. So I asked the purchaser, what do you do for fun? He goes, uh, I'm a stand up comedian. And this is the most unfunny guy you ever met in your life. My God, I hope he's not watching. Oh, this guy was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And uh, in case he is watching. And so I, uh, I, I was incredulous. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I took a class. I go, they can teach you to be funny. And uh, I mean, I always liked stand-up. I, I, I never really thought I'd do it, but I, I liked watching it. Um, I, I, I loved George Carlin. Grew up on George Carlin in the seventies. Um, just he was he was my idol. We can get more into him a little bit later. So I, I said, "Where'd you take the class?" He goes, "Orange Coast College." So I called them, and I signed up for the class. And I chickened out the first night. I didn't go. I was terrified. Mm. I was terrified to go to the stand-up comedy class. But I find so I went. And I did it and I graduated. They don't teach you to be funny. I learned that you, if you're not funny, it ain't going to happen, but they can teach you in the classes. And I know several amazing teachers. Uh, they teach you the structure of a joke. They teach you how to find the funnies, teach you stage presence, um, teach you to, to illustrate the absurd and think in the abstract because as comics, we don't think like normal people. Right. You know, we, we actually and, and people say, why are you on all the time? 
You know, I mean, if you're if you're always on performing, that's different. But your brain is always on. You you never shut it off. If something happens, you, you're like, oh my god, that that's hilarious. That could be a bit. That's a premise. That's I like that better. Or I would have said it this way. Or did you make that up? Can I use that? Um, you, you're all your brain's always on. Um, so I I took the classes and uh, did it for a year and hated it. Absolutely hated it, and I quit. And then, uh, you know, Bill Word. Mm -hmm. Bill Word was a comedy king in Orange County. He was doing contests uh, back in 2000, 1999, 2000, somewhere around then. And uh, he asked me to be a judge. And I got the bug. And I and and then I've, I've been doing it ever since. I got the bug. I went back. I all new material. And uh, bombed my first time on stage after I came back. Completely bombed. Not a single laugh. And I just vowed that I wasn't going to do that ever again. I was never going to bomb again. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to keep that promise to myself, but uh, it did keep me going. And uh, now I love it. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's an amazing uh, story. You know, I was just curious, do you remember the first show you did uh, the first time that wasn't the, you know, the graduation class? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still have my material. I, I found it. I was cleaning out a bin box and I'm like, oh my God, this, I wrote this in 93 maybe. And I, I found it and I looked at it and I, I just cringed, just absolutely cringed at the material. And it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe this might be part of the reason why I hated it because it was awful. Yeah. Was it, uh, do you remember where it was, where that first show was? It was at the Laugh Stop in Newport Beach that uh, then it closed, wound up being a strip club, and then I think it's a Carl's Jr. now. But, uh, yeah, I did the Laugh Stop three or four times after that. But uh, that was a great little club. But, yeah, it was friends and family. <clears throat> like mo I think all the comedy graduations are, it's friends and family, so you have a supportive audience. And, of course, they laugh. Everybody laughs because it's friends and family, and they're supportive. But then you take that that inflated sense of uh, funny, and you go hit an audience full of strangers, and uh, crickets crickets actually sounds good. Crickets actually do make noise. Yes, yes, <laughs> and it's not coughing or yeah. clinking of plates or or whatever. That's such an awful. Uh, I, I would almost prefer silence to to coughing or like clinking of plates, you know, that background noise. Or sometimes you hear like the, the kitchen. <laughs> you hear, well, like, the take, it, take it from the audience perspective though, too. I mean, you get some jerks. You get, you're always going to get jerks, but most of the audience, they truly feel bad. Yeah. They, they, they feel bad. And then they start, then they start to pity. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's worse. I'd rather have silence than the pity, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, but you know what though? It, it makes you better. Absolutely. It definitely makes you better. If, if it doesn't kill you, which it, it shouldn't, uh, it definitely makes you, you know, stronger and go, man, I'm not, I got to get this. I got to get, cause this is not a good feeling. It's, and it's, it's funny that, uh, it's so hard in the beginning. And, uh, that's, you know, I always tell people, especially newer comics, and they're like, what if I am like, listen, it's just, this is the hardest that it is right now. Like, you know, it, it, it's always, there's always challenges with comedy. But in the beginning is the absolute hardest when you were trying to figure out what's funny. Why did this work? Why didn't this work? Why aren't they laughing? Why is, you know, what do I talk about? All of these things. And just like that is, oh, it's the hardest period. And then like if you can survive that initial uh, really tough time, then then you're going to be good. You know, like you'll 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 get through it is what I mean. You won't be good per se, but you'll get through it. And it, it will it, it does get a little bit more. Um, as you start to learn things, it gets a little bit easier and a little more consistent. And I guess uh, my question for you is at what point did things start to click for you uh, to become more consistent in your, your shows? I, I know the night. <clears throat> I was at the coach house in San Juan and uh, I was supposed to do 20 minutes and I only had 20 minutes worth of material. And so it was easy. I mean, I didn't need a light. Uh, I'm going to get through it. And uh and I was just having fun. I was having so much fun. The audience was great. It was a big crowd. They were very supportive. <clears throat> and then I got the light. And I'm only halfway through. I'm like, what the, what the heck? What? 
So I wrapped it up and I ran up to the sound booth and I was I was borderline furious. You told me I could have 20 minutes. Why'd you light me? And the guy goes, you were up there for 27. I went, what? I only have 20 minutes worth of material. And he goes, not tonight. And I, I what it was, was I used to rush through it. Just like mm -hmm. you were saying, it's, uh, it's the hardest thing. What works, what doesn't work. I would just, I got to get all my jokes out. I only got 20 minutes. And the audience was receptive. They were laughing. They were they were constructively calling out comments, and I was having fun with it. And I lost track of time and didn't even get to a whole bunch of stuff. I, I jumped right to the closing bit and got out. But 27 minutes. That was the night. That was the night where I went, "Oh my god!" I actually, for the first time ever, had fun up there. I wasn't terrified all day. I actually was able to eat. And I it used to be I couldn't eat at all, either before or after a gig, because I was just scared to death. And I'd ask my wife, tell me again, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, but then somebody would say, hey, you want to do this show? I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. And then right. for the next month, I'm just freaking out. Yep. Well, and you mentioned something in, in your answer there that I, I think is really important that I, I struggled with a lot was uh, I have to get all my jokes in. Um, you know, like 10 minutes and you go, this is my 10 minute joke. And so if you get to the, if you get to eight minutes and they say, wrap it up or whatever, you know, you get your light. Uh, I still get, you know, five minutes of jokes. And so I would try to cram five minutes of jokes into two minutes, which is the worst thing you can do. Uh, well, you know, all, that, all that annoying and pesky laughter gets in the way. Right. You know? Uh, and, and so I had to just be like, I, I had to learn at, at some point to go, okay, you just stop, you know, if you run out of time, you know, or you're running out of time, just do the jokes within that allotted time. So if you, you know, when it's, it, it happens also with like auditions, you know, and you get like a 90 seconds or you get a two minute or a three minute spot to do an audition uh, or even a five minute, you're like, oh, I'm going to cram eight minutes in and I'm just going to barrel through it and shove it down their throat. And it's like, no, just pick your best five minutes and whatever that time is. Just do it your normal pacing, the correct pacing, the right, you know, right cadence. And when it's time to wrap up, you wrap up and you say goodnight. And that's that's all it is. And if you don't get to certain jokes, you don't get to certain jokes. But that was yeah. a huge, that was a huge thing for me. because uh, I and that was fairly recently, I would say in the last four or five years. Uh well, the audience doesn't know. Yeah. But I mean, I've been doing comedy, you know, 23 years now or whatever. And so uh, that was something I always did. And that, that took forever to get through my, my skull. Just go, no, just stop here. I remember I was talking with Mark Christopher Lawrence. And I go, well, what if you, you know, what if you get to this point? He goes, well, if I get to my hour and he goes, they give me the light, I go, okay, well, I'm done talking. You know, that was my last joke. Like, yeah. I don't need, I don't feel the need to do my closer. Like, okay, um, good night, everybody. <laughs> so. No, the, well, you don't always have to end, you know, with a with a whole you know gala performance. Yeah, a lot, of, but, a lot of comics do that. All right, good night, everybody. Yeah, that was just very interesting to me to to hear that to see that happen. Um, so so let me ask you this: uh, What is the best piece of advice you received about uh, comedy? It's very, it's very cliche, but it's very true, <clears throat> and it was also the hardest thing to enact: be yourself. Hmm. And it came from Jay Leno, not directly to me, but through uh, his bookers, because I sent in some tapes to The Tonight Show way back when, and uh, I got rejected. But they, they, were, they were the nicest rejections you could ever get, because they would call you back and they would explain why. And uh, Jay had liked the jokes, but he didn't like my voice. I wasn't using my normal talking voice. I was more whiny at the time. And... Uh, and he goes, tell him to lose the voice, be himself. And I was like, okay, how do you be yourself? That's the hardest thing in the world is to be yourself. <laughs> really? How do you be yourself? But, you know, at, at least with me and I know a few others, it's true. And it, it, it boils down to that another cliche, which is finding your voice, which is the hardest thing to do. What is your mm -hmm. voice? What kind of comic are you? And so how do you, uh, for, for newer comics or people who may not do stand-up comedy, how do you um, describe, like, finding your voice? What, what is that? Oh, how would you I think if we could write that down, we'd, we'd both be millionaires. That's true. 
I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how it happened. Um, I think I started noticing what got more laughs and what what didn't. I mean, some stuff you know, got mediocre laughs, and and, and obviously, like I, you you write like crazy, and 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 I discovered when I had 30 minutes, I wanted to get to 40. So I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and I added 10 or 15 minutes, and I still had 30 because I threw my B list stuff out. I you know I threw old stuff out, and it's just like okay, well you know this stuff this stuff got smiles and chuckles and and a couple of groans because groans can be good too. You can't have them laughing like crazy the entire show, especially if you're not the headliner. If 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 you're the MC or if you're the opener or the feature and you burn out the audience before the headliner gets up there, you're not coming back. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a business thing. So you gotta, you gotta temper. You might be the funniest guy in the world, but you don't want to show up the headliner for one and you don't right. want to burn out the audience. Um, I, I digress a little bit, but um, I, it was, it was fine. As far as finding the voice, it was finding what worked, you know, what was working, my, my relationship stuff, you know, dealing with the wife, me being self-deprecating because there actually is a lot wrong with me that helped and then playing off my wife um mm -hmm. that that turned out to be a huge part of what i do now i have canned bits that I've, I've been doing for 15 20 years and i talk about my dog my cat my bird um i talk about well i used to be in radio and I used to talk like a cheesy AM DJ a lot. And so I wrote a bit about that. What if everybody in the world talked like a cheesy AM DJ? I've been doing that bit for 20 years. That was one of the first bits I wrote when I got serious about comedy again. But it worked. But that's not my voice. That's not a defining thing. That's a little aside. When you start riffing with the audience, you start doing crowd work. There's your voice. You're talking to them there. It's, it, it's Brian versus the crowd or it's Brian and the crowd. You know, it, you become one of them, but you just happen to be the funniest one in the room, and they're all looking to you. You uh, you found your stride, you found your voice, and uh, I guess I'll leave it there. I like that. So, what is your uh, writing process? <laughs> I have read all the books, Steve Allen's books, Jeff Corley's book. Uh, I've read so many of the books, trying to find the writing process. I've tried the grid process. You know, I, I got hired way back when. I guess I can say now. It was a non-disclosure, but Burt Reynolds died. So he did die, right? Uh, did he? I don't even know at this point. Can we Google Burt Reynolds died? Anyway, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a bunch of, uh, I don't know, about 15 years ago. Burt Reynolds was delivering a, a bunch of jokes for a very old man's birthday party. And he wanted a bunch of G-rated. And I wrote, I wrote 50 jokes. They paid insanely well. And I wasn't allowed to use the jokes anymore, and I wasn't allowed to reveal who it was, but I'm pretty sure he did. He died. Besides, I don't think it was an imperpetuity imper clause in there. I think 15 years is long enough. <clears throat> but I did the grid process, you know, old age. Things about, you know, on the left-hand side, what are all the things that go that you're worried about getting old? What are all the conditions? And then <clears throat> on the right-hand side, what are all the words associated with old age? And you stare at the grid. And the jokes start to come, you know. I was like, uh, at my age, when I reach for uh, my, a bottle of my best stuff, it's oxygen. You know, I mean, they were all G-rated, family-friendly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh, I don't have the Rona, by the way. I've just been talking too much. What happens? So I did that, and then now the writing style is: uh, I just get an idea and I just start writing. I just start writing it down, and then. The writing is one thing. The editing is the is the big part. Hmm. Uh, and just to confirm, Burt Reynolds is, uh, did uh, pass away in. <laughs> so. All right. Good. Good. I'm, uh, you so, have fact checkers on staff. That is awesome. You have that's totally. What, that's what we do here. That's we, could, that's how we that's how we roll here in the uncommon. You could moderate a presidential debate. You are ready. <laughs> We'll just have lies, just ready lies. Just have the word lie anytime any of them speak lie. <laughs> we'll just do that. Just keep it going through the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, you talked about the editing. So it, it's interesting though, writing that there's so many different processes, you know, like I, you know, uh, I've said this before, I'm kind of a ranter. So my stuff, I kind of say out loud first and I say it out loud multiple times. And then once I kind of get the feel of it, then I 
shifted onto paper, but there are some people who do, you know, cause I used to do visual uh, mapping, like brain mapping. Um, and then sometimes I do like an outline format and some people will, will write it out in, you know, paragraph form. And so there's, there's, it's, it's about, I think finding what works for you um, because not everybody writes the same way or works well writing the yeah. same way. Our brains are all different. So it's just kind of figuring out what, what process works best for you. Um, but it's hard when people don't know what those other options are. And you have somebody in a book saying, well, you have to do the grid or you have to, you know, do an outline or you have to, you know, do that. But, you know, so it, it did work. It did work, but I, I found it uninspiring. It hmm. became mechanical. But again, because you're in the comedy business, you thought, okay, you could recognize that this, this stuff is amusing. This is funny. And that, that does work. The, the guys who write the books, they're not lying. That system works for them. Yep. So I, I read so many of them. I took writing classes. Uh, I took Jeff Jenna's writing class um, 20 years ago. And uh, the guy's, I don't know if you know Jeff, but the guy's a genius. Brilliant. <clears throat> and uh, and I learned a couple of things there. Um Again, it boils down to how can you illustrate the absurd? Mm. Yeah, know, I mean, I'm direct. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I always still uh, take uh, courses online or read books or whatever about it. I'm always trying to learn because, um, you know, even if it's somebody that's been doing it uh, less time than me and I hear about their their process, because <laughs> if I can learn one thing, then it's, it's totally worth it. You know, and I, I just love the, the science and the craft and all that sort of stuff behind it. So it's interesting you bring that up because I've had that very same conversation about comedy. You know, oh, I could do stand up, you know, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people talk about stand up. They don't realize there's a science behind it, that there's a rhythm, that there's a formula, you know, that there are rules. And most of the time we do follow the rules, you know, the, the rule of three, you know, don't, don't list more than three items, don't do more than three tags. And the reason is it gets monotonous. You know, people, you could list too many things. Um, but yeah, there are rules. There's a science. You don't put the punchline in the middle of your setup. Now, there's different rules for writing jokes that people are going to read versus writing jokes that people are going to listen to. Because when you're when you're writing and you're just write, writing a funny story, you can put the punchlines anywhere you want because people will laugh, they will stop, then they will continue reading. But if you do that in your stand-up, they're going to laugh. You're going to keep talking. They're going to stop laughing and then you're going to finish it and you just killed your joke. Right. So you have to, you could tell the same joke different ways, but when you're doing it for stand up, you got to end on the punch because that's the payoff. But right. You don't have to do that when you're, when you're writing um, screenplays, stories, you know, funny dialogue, you don't have to do that. Yeah, it's so funny, you know, you mentioned that people have no idea, you know, like there are nine psychological triggers as to why people laugh. And so it's like, okay, you know, can can you incorporate those? And there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of stuff in there, which I, I, I always just find fascinating. And I just love looking at it from, from other angles. And I may never use that approach, uh, maybe, but for, you know, a small handful of times, but it comes in handy at that point. And I also think there's a difference too for for those because I've had um, you know like Brian Kiley on who who writes for Conan O'Brien. So when you have to sit down, and I've had Steve Mazon who wrote for Ellen and all that stuff. So when when you have to sit down and they go, here's what's in the news, write about this. It's different than oh, I went to the store today and this is what I observed and I saw. Um, so I mean, there's, there's differences with that as well. But it, it's like I said, I, I just always found it really fascinating. Um, I guess, uh, I guess we come to the, the question that, that everybody wants to know, Jim Taylor, and that is yeah. what was your worst show ever? Oh, how much, how long is the show? I got <laughs> we will I edit got out everything else except for this. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst show I have? Well, I guess the worst, okay. I have two worst shows. I have uh, I have the worst show that left me devastated for a week. Um, I was doing a corporate event. I auditioned for it. Um, about four comics before me turned the gig down. And they told me that probably to get me to drop the price or something. I don't know why they told me that. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, I was your fifth choice. And uh, so I go, okay, we're off to a good start. But it didn't dawn on me 
why the other four comics who were more experienced than me turned this gig down because the money was really good. Mm. So I went and did it, and it was a uh, for a bunch of tax accountants who were wrapping up a week-long tax seminar. This was their one night before they had to go back home. And it was a dinner with a comic. And then she said, well, I want you to do 45. I go, that's way too much time. You know, these guys are going to want to drink or they want to socialize. They're going to want to blow off steam. She goes, 45 minutes. I said, okay. So <clears throat> I get up there and I start doing my shtick. And I got them for a little while. Then this table starts talking. And then they're getting pretty loud and they're laughing, but they're not laughing at me. So I, I got to save this, right? So I jump off the stage with a cordless and I go engage them and I get them back, but the table behind me starts talking. So I run to them before too long. I'm running from table to table, trying to keep everybody engaged. And then I get back up on the stage and I start doing some more shtick because I got them back. The booker runs up on the stage while I'm performing and says, the client doesn't want you to do the dirty stuff anymore. And I looked at him and I go, what dirty stuff? He goes, I have no idea. I go, I didn't do any dirty stuff. And she goes, he says, she doesn't want you doing the dirty. So you got to clean it up. I'm doing clean. I didn't do it. And so I was, and so from then on, I, everything I said, I was like, oh my God. So I just started telling stories. I started telling stories about living in Japan and the funny things that happened to me. And I, I went from doing stand-up comedy to just doing, you know, being a story guy. And then finally, I just said, you know what? I don't care if they don't pay me. This I'm done. And uh, my confidence was shattered after that. The client was so angry at me. The booker called me and said, I have no idea what was going on. I'm so sorry. The booker apologized. Um, so that one that one was a gig from hell. The other one that turned out nice, I was doing a, doing a gig in a restaurant. And the uh, probably 60 or 70 people there. And they paid. They paid out like a $10, $15 cover charge. It was kind of an upscale restaurant. And the MC was so bad. He started insulting the audience when they wouldn't laugh at his jokes. Then he'd explain the jokes. He goes, what's wrong with you? This this stuff is funny. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And then the, he walked. He walked about 40 people. They got up and said, we're done. And they walked out. And he's like, where are you going? You coming back? we got some funny people coming up. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the producer totally lost control of the show. <clears throat> so the next comic gets up, and he's he's doing okay, but some more people are leaving. Then some lady walking by runs onto the stage and grabs the microphone away from him and starts singing a cappella. <laughs> like it was some kind of, you know, amateur karaoke night without the karaoke. And he let that go on, and I'm, I'm, I'm about crying. At this point, I got my, I'm sitting in a booth with my head on the table. Now we're down to two couples. Oh, no. And, all right, you guys ready for the headliner? All right, here comes Jim Taylor. And the one of the couples stood up, and I, I jumped off the stage. And I go, look, I will buy your drinks if you stay. And so they sat down. So I got back up on the stage. I go, what am I doing? I got off the stage, and I went to their table. There was two couples sitting at two different tables side by side. <clears throat> I did 45 minutes for those four people, and I had the best time of my life. Wow. They were laughing. They were engaging. It was for four people. It was down from 60. But I remember before I went up, and I wish I could give credit to the comedian who said it, but I, for the life of me, I can't remember. But I was watching some show, and there was a, an A-lister on the show being interviewed, and he said, I don't care if I'm performing for 1,000 people or 10 people. Those 10 people paid, and damn it, they're getting a show. And I yep. went, oh, man. So I thought about that, and I went, okay, these four people <laughs> paid for a show, and I'm going to I'm gonna do it. And it was a disaster. I mean, one comic, you know, when there was only like six people in a room, was just talking to the other comics from the stage. I mean, the show was, it was over. It was done. So I, uh, I, I wound up having fun. And when it got all done, I hung out with the couples. And uh, one guy, it sounds a little corny, but. He was kind of goofy anyway, but he shook my hand and said that was magical. Wow! And I was—it's a little, a little corny in, in the, the way, but at the time, at the time, it was so cool because I was—I was dreading going up there. Just I hate my job. I totally hate this, and it turned out being one of the best nights I ever had for four people. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, we are talking with uh, Jim Taylor, a very, very funny stand-up comedian. 
Uh, you can follow Jim uh, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Taylor D, the letter D as in David and uh, James. So facebook.com slash Taylor D James. So you, you mentioned that. And I think that's something that I think is one of the worst feelings of, of helplessness when you when you're in a show and you see a lot of, you know, there's a good size crowd and you have somebody on front of you who has no idea what they're doing, whether it's a, a host or another comic and you just see them berate the audience. Um, it's not their fault that they're not laughing. It's your fault, you know? Yeah. And what is that? What, what is going through your mind? Uh, just tell people what is going through your mind when you see that starting to unfold and then you see people starting to walk out and you're just well, like, no, as a producer or as a comic. Uh, both is fine. Well, as a producer, as a producer I, get I get them off the stage. Yeah. You know, it's like light them, light them now. Um, I, I had a situation um, last year where a comic begged me for a spot at the improv. I got him the spot and I gave him five minutes and he was so drunk that he did the same joke, I think five times in a row, which the audience actually thought was funny because they realized he was so screwed up, but then he wouldn't get off the stage. He wouldn't get off. So we gave him the light multiple times. We killed his mic. He just started talking <laughs> from the stage with no mic. So I just walked out there clapping, you know, so-and-so ladies and gentlemen, give it up. And then uh, put my arm around him said, let's go. Got him off the stage, came back and then told everybody he was available for AA parties. Nice. But, uh, but as a comic, yeah, they start walking. I'm, it's not your show. <laughs> so I, I guess just as a message to, to comedians who are out there who think it's uh, about them that aren't the host or whatever, as a uh, from a booker or producer side of it, what are the the ramifications of you know people don't understand the ramifications of of turning on uh, on the audience from a show side of it and you know. Uh, people don't realize that producers and bookers talk, and yes. you're, you're never booking that guy again. Well, not only do do they talk, but you know, just just amongst each other, we we may not necessarily call and say, "Hey, this guy was a jerk." You know, I just had him, blah blah blah. But a lot of times, it's, uh, "Hey, I need somebody who's uh, like a single dad comic or a single mom comic or." I, I need a, a a lady that can you know who talks about her kids or or I need a G rated you know you'll you'll talk to them do you, do you know anybody somebody fresh somebody I haven't seen and then uh, and that's how we met I mean I, I, you yep. referred to me from uh, Tony Calabrese oh. that's how we met and because we would we would talk and it's like well yeah and 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 in my case with this one guy uh, I didn't need to say anything nobody ever ever contacted me but. The venue saw him. The venue will never book him. I mean, you're talking about an improv. That that is a serious bridge to burn right there. Mm -hmm. They'll never book him. He's tried to apologize to me a couple of times. I accepted his apology, and then it, then he followed up with a "Will you book me again?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh no, no that that was too risky." It's one thing to to freeze or, but to to get so hammered that. Uh, and then not get off the stage. I mean, some some venues are, are death on you if you blow the light. You blow the light, especially if it's a finely tuned show. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then if you blow the light, that means somebody's either not going up or everybody's going to have to cut their set down a little bit. So now all the other comics are mad at you because you blew the light. Uh, and then comics have no problem talking about other comics. So <laughs> word will get around fast if you're difficult to work with. If you don't follow the rules, you may not like the rules. If you don't like the rules, get your own venue. You know, get your own venue, produce your own show. Um, but you got to play by the rules or you just won't be working unless you're a prodigy. And face it, there's not that many prodigies out there. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I Not to digress too much, but I wanted to touch on that. I, I remember ve uh, very specifically uh, when I was in Boston, there was a, uh, a comedian who was very funny, uh, doing really well, and it was a very it was very much a uh, a tightly run show. Had to end at you know ten thirty, and then it turned into a dance club type of thing. And this comedian, they gave him seven minutes, and uh, the comedian I was with uh, was a headliner, 
and he was going to finish and do his, uh, he was going to be on, I think, Letterman or, or uh, Leno or something, and he was going to run his set. And so this comedian ended up was killing. He was absolutely killing and doing great. He was supposed to do seven. He did 15. And so he had to, they had to bump the last comic, which was the headliner who was going to do his set, run his set for Letterman, who was a big-time headliner in, in Boston. Um, and so he was, he was furious. And so the guy was, you know, all excited and doing this. And as soon as he said goodnight and he walked down, the headliner went over and grabbed him and he's like, you just effed me. And he was like, who, and the guy goes, who the hell are you? And he goes, who the hell am I? Just watch. He pulled out his phone, called up the owner uh, of the club and the booker and just said, I don't know who this guy is, but he just screwed me out of my set, you know, that I'm trying to do for, for Letterman. And he got him blacklisted from every major club and every booker in in Boston and just basically ruined him. And so it's yeah. like you never know who you're dealing with. It was fascinating to see. So, yeah. Well, that's it's, that's it's, true of everything in life, you know. Always be nice to people. I, I remember when I was in business when I had my company. I had a guy walk in the door with a problem and uh, actually it's happened a couple of times, but you know, he had a simple problem. I took care of his computer for him or we took care of it for him. And then I said, you know, and he goes, how much are you? I go, nothing. No, it must be something. I go, really? Had you shipped it to us and we had receiving costs and handling? Yeah, but you, you brought it in. All we did was tweak it. You're good to go. And he turned out to be a big shot with IBM. And uh, within a year, I had contracts with IBM with, uh, you know, 30 IBM employees working out of my out of my building. Oh, wow. So it's like you never know who you're talking to. So be nice to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let me ask you uh, kind of a follow up from the, the, the worst show. What is the weirdest place you ever played? I wish I could say a strip club, but I've never been booked there. I did turn down a nudist colony. Have they ever contacted you? They yes. said you can wear, they say you can wear a sock, but uh, <laughs> and so I, I mean I even talked about it. I was going to go get one of those uh, French baguette papers, you know, those great big long. I was going to get one of those, but I, I just couldn't. This is I I couldn't be up there naked. I mean, they'd be laughing before I even said a damn word. So I just uh, I, I turned that down. But I, I think the weirdest was a bowling alley, and the only reason I took the gig is so that I could say I did a bowling alley. Yep. But yeah, it was it was a bowling alley. That was probably. I mean, I, I've done. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I've done a lot of corporate gigs that weren't supposed to be comedy, <clears throat> but because other acts didn't show up, you know, I wound up doing it. Okay, okay. Now the most. One, okay, I just remember this one. I, I got I got brought in as a comic for Relay for Life one year, uh, American Cancer Society. So they, uh, they said, okay, <clears throat> just a second. We're going to bring your comedian up here, Jim Taylor. Very funny guy. Got his own show at the Irvine Improv. You're going to have a, a lot of fun with him. But before we do it, let's bring everybody up who has lost a loved one to cancer and light a candle in their remembrance. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, you just didn't do that. Oh, so they, the people all came up and they lit candles. It was very emotional. I get it. And, uh, and I wasn't being selfish. I'm just like, well, this show's over. Um, yeah. And uh, probably most of them left right after that, crying, and and a couple of them stayed. I did the show, but that that, that was very awkward. Let's uh, let's remember all the ones that we lost this year to cancer. And here's your comedian. Yeah. Put for for those listening, if you're doing a show like that and there's a contract involved, put it in your contract that anything like that goes after you. Yeah. Well. Yeah, you learn, you learn because you have that happen. And then you, you learn, you know, you learn from that. You go, well, I don't want to do that again. Like, hey, if you're going to announce massive layoffs, uh, can you do that after I go on stage, please? Speaking <laughs> of that, I did that. I did a nursing home and I'm uh, not a nursing home as a, a corporate event for a company that owned a bunch of convalescent nursing homes. <clears throat> and it was a big celebration of their employees. <clears throat> and it was like a six-hour event. We had music and dancing and games and prizes and even bingo. I mean, all kinds of fun stuff we were doing. 
and the owners got up and presented certificates of achievement to everybody and then uh, then told them um, we sold the company um, you're all being laid off but thank you for everything that you've done all right enjoy the party everybody <laughs> and he handed me back the microphone and I'm like that totally didn't just happen did it <laughs> and it did so it's funny you say every you know you're getting laid off yeah it's it's happened you know and you just go please please and so I always ask that when when there's a like a corporate event or a, a big event or go is there anything negative happening are there any layoffs or any death announcements or like any you know like if, if there are let's save those for after the comic because yeah. you're not going to get your money's worth. Well, it's like they want you to perform during dinner. Yeah, I don't want that. That's the worst. You know, you're, a you're running a, a choke hazard. You know, somebody could be choking on their steak, and the last thing you want to do is jump off the stage, do the Heimlich maneuver, and then get right. back to. It. Hey, have you ever had anybody collapse on one of your shows? I don't think so. No, but uh, I was talking with Mark Christopher Lawrence, and he had somebody literally uh die and then they had to resuscitate him is that something that's happened to you yes um that's... he wasn't there that night though i don't think uh it was at it was at the improv actually twice once i was doing a, sh a winery in san diego and the guy in the front row was laughing so hard he had an asthma attack we had to stop the show they had to bring in the paramedics and i i actually thought that was kind of cool he was okay you know yeah. They wound up leaving, and uh, we continued the show. But uh, yeah, we did a uh, doing a show at the Improv about two years ago in Irvine, and some guy just jumps up and yells nine one one in the middle of my set. I was uh, I was opening the show, and uh, I go, okay, that's the weirdest heckler ever. And he goes, no, really, call nine one one. So you know you can't see anything. The spotlight. Right. So I put my hand up. I block the spotlights. There's somebody on the ground. Someone's doing CPR. It's like, oh, crap. Demanded. They you know, called out for the house lights we put on. Did the proverbial, is there a doctor in the house? Right. And, uh, yeah, lady's heart had stopped. Wow. And then they, uh, the paramedics uh, came. They revived her, took her back to the hospital. It took about a half hour. They had to move a bunch of tables out of the way. And then uh, I went to the manager. I go, what now? She goes, what? I go, show must go on. So... What we did is we incorporated her so she was going to be okay so her daughter would call in and give us updates so every in between each comic i would go out and give updates on her and then at mm. the very end of the show i got my cell phone out and and everybody uh called out we love you and said her name as i'm moving the cell phone across the audience and then we sent that to her oh so, wow yeah, it was, uh, but it was terrifying it's like she literally died and uh it was the nurse practitioner at the next table who revived her. Wow. So how did you, uh, how tough was it to restart that show? Oh man. It was like, okay, how do you follow that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that. But, uh, I, I, the daughter had called me and said, she's in the ambulance. She's speaking. She's okay. Not okay. She didn't know if she was okay, but she, she knew her mom or the, the, the daughter. Yeah. The, she said her mom was speaking and uh she was coherent so i opened with that okay with that and then uh and then i think i did if i remember correctly i did a, i did the the lame you know i'm glad she's okay and i know you're supposed to die you know did you kill at the show blah blah blah, blah. i did some of those and there was like nervous laughter but eventually they started getting back in and then i just started making fun of myself uh again because that's easy to do and uh kind of brought them back with that yeah i was kind of proud of that show because all the comics, I mean, the comics were devastated. I yeah. mean, to have, have a little old lady have a heart attack in the show. And, and that one reason, there was one comic who was coming on and she was the reason he was there. He was the reason she was there. She actually came to see that comic mm. and he was just devastated. And it was like, dude, she's going to be okay. And uh, we engineered something later for her because she just loved him. So I called him up and I said, hey, you want to go do a hospital visit? And he's like, yeah, cool. So I'm also kind of a publicity whore. So I contacted the newspaper. So they sent a photographer and a reporter. And he's like, okay, let's go in. I go, no, 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 no. No, you stay out in the hallway. And I'm going to go in with the reporter and everybody else. And we're, and, and we're just going to talk. And then when she thinks it's all over, I'm going to excuse myself to go to the bathroom. And then you walk in. He's like, okay. 
So I go in there and she's all, oh, Jim, oh, it's so nice of you to come. And they're taking pictures and how are you feeling? And the reporter's asking her questions and she's finally all calmed down. <clears throat> and I go, oh, I, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. So I walk out. I go get him. He walks in. All of a sudden she goes, oh, my God. And then her machines start going off. Beep, 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 beep. We're like, oh, my God, we killed her again. <laughs> nurses came running in. She was fine. She was just so thrilled. But her heart rate just jumped and triggered the alarms. Oh, that's hysterical. That's really funny. Uh, get the, one more question before we, or two more questions before we jump into, uh, you were talking about your organization or that you wanted to spotlight, not your organization <coughs> specifically, but uh, how do you deal with hecklers? Well, see, that's tricky. See, uh, you get somebody, you got to figure out first, are they just drunk and being jerks or do they want to be part of the show? Um, you go, you come down too hard on a heckler, you can turn the audience against you. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, a lot of the improvs, you don't have hecklers. <clears throat> a lot of the bigger clubs, they, they just don't allow it. Um, right. You know, dive bars, places, you know, you get people that jump in. You just got to kind of decide. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever slammed anybody. I don't think I've had a, all my hecklers have been women. I don't think I've ever had a guy heckler. But uh, I made one where I got a laugh, but I was kind of dangerous as one lady was, she wasn't heckling. She was just answering rhetorical questions, you know, or, you know, my wife thinks I'm having an affair. Well, are you? You know. <laughs> <and> it, <clears throat> so finally, I, I just said, look, I, I liked you a lot better when you were under the table. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got a laugh there. Another lady was, was commenting and I just introduced her to everybody as my mother. And I just say, hey, everybody, give it up for my mom. She's right here in the front row. We'll get a spotlight on her, please. And so once she became part of the show, she shut up the rest of the time. <clears throat> but it's dangerous. I mean, I've seen some guys handle it really well. I've seen people not handle it so well. Um, and I've seen audiences turn. Um, this isn't a heckler story, but I, had a, I did a show where it was all two shows, actually, where senior citizens, all senior citizens. And it was in a, both of them were in clubs. It wasn't a nursing home but they were all in their seventies, kind of like my age now. And uh, one one show I did, the guy came out and did jokes like, uh, uh, oh yeah, my grandpa died. Uh, it worked out well though, because he died on a Sunday night and Monday was trash day. And I'm just like, yeah. And then my grandma, she's really rich. I love her. I go visit her every week and put a new coat of wax on her stairs. I thought that one was funny, but I was the only person. And this audience, actually, they started hissing at him. They weren't booing, wow. they were hissing. Uh, and then the other one was a senior citizen club where the opener came out and said, uh, well, I was just watching an episode of the Golden Girls. I don't have a joke there. I just wanted to try and connect with my audience. And then you could just see everybody in the audience sitting back, arms folded. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So, yeah, you, you, you definitely got to be careful about alienating the audience and, and going too hard on hecklers. Too hard on hecklers uh, can kill you because yeah. the crowd will like them better. And don't ever give the heckler the microphone for two reasons. One, they, they could just completely ruin the show. Or two, they could be funnier than you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll absolutely. let him take the mic. No, that's great advice. We are, uh, we're speaking with Jim Taylor, uh, stand-up comedian, a uh, very, very funny guy. And you can follow Jim at facebook.com slash Taylor. D, the letter D, James. Uh, that's facebook.com slash Taylor D, James. Uh, I guess uh, last question before we uh, we talk about uh, some organization stuff. What advice do you have for new comics? <clears throat> okay, I, I can only talk about the way I feel. And mm -hmm. I'm all about getting butts in the seat. I want people in the seat. I'm not looking for my people. I'm not looking for my crowd, people that like my kind of comedy. So I'm not very edgy. I try to stay away from the controversial stuff. Um, I don't want to, to talk about a particular subject that is going to upset somebody because that's not why they're there. They paid their money to go and have a good time. My job is to try and make them have a good time, let them laugh. So I stay away from the controversy. Um, I, uh, I, I stopped swearing. You know, I, I did that as an experiment once. I one one show I did it was in Ontario at the Improv, and I don't know twenty years ago. 
uh, 15, 18 years ago. So um, I just did my entire step and didn't swear. Now, you know, when you do the, the walk of shame at the end of the show, you know, where all, you're standing there thanking everybody for coming by. And, and if they didn't like you, they totally avoid your eyes on the way yeah. out. They like you to come. <laughs> they, uh, they, they, nobody remembered my name, but a few people came up to me and said, you're the only guy who didn't swear. I went, you know what? You're right. So, and I never, I never had any profanity in there. So um, if the profanity makes the joke, I say, leave it in. But I went to the effing store to get some effing milk because we got GD. We were out of it. And, uh, you know, and my wife, the B did this. And if, if you don't need the words, then don't put them in there, you know, because then it, it, it translates a little bit better to corporate. If, if it's, if, if you can get in the habit, I also do a lot of G rated shows. Um, not G-rated comedy, but I do a lot of family events as a as a corporate MC, and uh, it, it it helps. It definitely helps you to you don't get in that mindset where you're going to slip up and do something. The other thing we already talked about: you be nice to everybody. You don't know who's watching. You don't know who's in the audience. I've done shows in the. I did a show for the colorectal cancer symposium for the American Cancer Society, a lunchtime show, and there was a lady in the audience who was related to her, her nephew was a big television booker and she came out and I got a call from that booker. Um, just say, Hey, I don't know who you are, but my aunt says you're really funny. I wanted to chat with you a little bit and we're friends to this day. You know, so you never know who's in the audience. So you do something stupid, you know, you, you know, you do something cheap. Um, I, I, I saw a guy, it was horrible. A comic went after a guy with down syndrome one time. And it's just like, you know, oh my God, how, how are you ever going to get work again? Because, you know, the corporate's getting 20 phone calls tomorrow. Right. You know, just, just don't, don't hurt anybody. You know, just uh, adopt a, a, something out of the physician's oath. You know, do no harm. Do no harm. And especially in this day and age, comedy is going to come back. And, 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 and we're all going to suck, by the way. We're all oh, yeah. going to suck for a while. Um, <clears throat> comedy is going to come back. Try and make people's lives better. You don't have to be. Uh, there's only one Sam Kinison in our lifetime, <clears throat> and uh, and he got away with it because he was he was absolutely brilliant. But you know he's gone, and I've yet to see somebody that can that can pull it off, like like he could, right. be offensive without offending. And uh, just you know, this is a business. You know, if you if you want to make money at this, if you want to get known, you want to get on TV, you want to get your face on, you want people to call you and give you money to tell them jokes, don't piss people off. That is, that's very, very, very smart advice. Absolutely. So that's great advice. Hopefully people are listening to that and uh, take that in. Uh, I want to talk, uh, shift gears and talk about uh, uh, an organization that uh, is uh, near and dear to your heart. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's a uh, national organization dedicated to reducing suicide. Uh, suicide's a huge problem. It, it's it's the number one preventable cause of death in the United States. And with COVID and with the lockdowns, calls to the suicide lifeline, we used to call it the hotline, now they call it the lifeline. Calls to the suicide lifeline have gone up over 2,000%. Wow. You know, just in Orange County, the official numbers of suicide pre-COVID were one a day. And I think that's closer to four a day, actually, in reality, because so many things get misclassified uh, as accidental gunshot, accidental overdose, when it really was suicide. So, you know, then, that, again, that boils down to, you know, when you're doing your comedy, you don't know who in the audience is struggling, who in the audience is, uh, is, is, is broken. We're all broken, but some people are, 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 are really hurting. And, uh, being kind, watching out for everybody, keeping your eyes open, asking somebody if they're okay. That, that goes a long way. The, uh, every, every, there's a San Diego chapter. There's an Orange County chapter. There's like 88 chapters all across the United States. If you want more information, go to AFSP.org. Oh, my dog. Sorry. They want to get in on it. You're just out getting dollars. So yeah, you can you can check out the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. That's uh, www.afsp.org. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's an absolute. Uh, you know, it, it's such an important thing, and, and mental health is such a, a big issue. And, and thankfully, 
it's it's no longer as taboo. Uh, you know, it's getting to the point where people can actually talk about these sort of uh, issues, and it's no longer, uh, like I said, as taboo. There are some people who are still kind of holding out on it, but uh, it's becoming more and more uh, talked about, and known, and, and and being shared openly. So hopefully that we can, uh, you know, reduce some of these these uh, you know suicides and these these deaths. That, these that's what we do. We we take it out of the darkness. We shine a light on it. And uh, we try and remove the stigma, you know, get people to talk about it, get them to talk about it. If you go up to someone who's thinking about suicide and you ask them if uh, I can take away your pain right now, magically, do you still want to die? And they'll almost always say, no, I don't want to die. You know, so suicide is less about killing yourself and more about ending the pain. So if you can find a way to help mitigate the pain, take it down a notch, take it down a big notch. Sometimes it's sometimes there is a mental illness component. Unfortunately, there, that, that happens a lot, but it's not yeah. always exclusively that. Sometimes it's environmental. Sometimes it's somebody has difficulty processing emotional pain. You know, as comedians, we have a very high suicide rate. Right. You know, we're, we're all a little neurotic to begin with. And, uh, and we also experience a tremendous amount of highs and lows in, in our business. You know, I come off the stage high as a kite. I can't sleep for hours. You right. know, so, and then you come down, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a rough business. But, um, you know, general, the general population has got a lot of struggles. And <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of ways that we can help. Bottom line just just be kind get off facebook if it's being nasty and ugly it's going to contribute to your depression it's going to contribute to your lack of feeling of a well-being just find something that makes you happy and go do more of it absolutely and uh one more time uh you can check out the american foundation for suicide prevention at www.afsp.org I want to thank everyone for tuning in and watching and listening. And I'd like to say thank you to, to Jim Taylor for taking time uh, out of your day and appreciate the, you, you telling us a little bit about your story and uh, your experience and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. And uh, I just, uh, I hope we get to uh, get back to doing some shows again real soon. And uh, thank you again. And we'll, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Brian, thank you so much. <clears throat> thank you everybody for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we will, th this will end. This lockdown will end and we're going to get through this. We're going to get out there better and, and stronger than we were before. Uh, there's, the alternative sucks. So no, we're going to get yeah. through this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much. And, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon.